This is the Thursday Night Podcast, your source for news, analysis, and all things Georgia State sports. Because every day is Thursday. Hello and welcome to episode 116 of the Thursday Night Podcast. My name is Taylor. I am joined today by the entire crew, David, Brady, and Jordan, coming at you this week. We are going to be talking about the men's basketball team splitting a two-game homestand with the Alabama schools and heading off for a road trip through the Carolinas. There's also one big name returning on the football roster this year in 2022, and we'll be talking baseball for the first time this season. We'll slalom through a season-specific listener question. But first, gentlemen, it's been a while since we had all, all of us together. How are we doing? You want to take the – what are we going to do? We're going to slalom, you said? <laughs> I'm just going to let it ride. You're going to have to – I feel like it's a little topical. Yeah, you have to wait for the end of the episode to find out what we're talking about. The mind wanders. <laughs> I didn't have a second pun ready to go with that, but assume that I put one and that it worked and that you're sufficiently teased for the question that's going to come later. Oh, Brady. Classic. One of those classic. classic Brady zingers. You already know. It's those classic Brady bits. Oh, you had to be there. Hope that makes the cut. Anyway, uh, in basketball news, a week of mixed fortunes in the sports arena, a 67 to 63 loss to Troy on Thursday night and a rebound 69-62 win against South Alabama. The Panthers battled back from an eight-point halftime deficit to take the lead against the Trojans, but a poor shooting night and costly turnovers led to the game slipping away late. Their work at the free-throw line particularly made a difference, shooting just 15-27 to compared to Troy's 20-36 in what ultimately was a four-point loss. The script flipped on uh, uh, Saturday totally against South Alabama, but a red-hot shooting performance in the first half gave State a 42-24 lead after the break. A full-time switch to a 2-3 zone by the Jags tripped them up in the second half, and the lead shrunk all the way down to just four with under 30 seconds left, but a reversal from what had proved to be the killer against Troy. The Panthers made 24 of 28 from the line on the afternoon, and they saw, uh, saw them escape with the win. They have won 3 of 4 and sit at 9-10 and 3-5 and and in Sunbelt play. Gentlemen. Next week, what are our takeaways? Yeah, it still feels weird. Like it, it was a missed opportunity to win too, <laughs> but I guess it's a better missed opportunity than losing both, like you did when you lost at home to App and Coastal Carolina. But I feel like we should at least acknowledge that winning three of four is momentum. It is something that Georgia State hasn't really had a lot of throughout most of this, especially once conference play hit. So. I, you missed a chance to win both and get back to leveling conference at four and four. It was a game you probably should have won just because you fought back in it. And at the end of the day, what cost you was yourself because you missed 12 free throws. A lot of those misses coming from your guards and guys that you need to rely on to make those type of shots. I mean, it's, it's free shots. It's in the name, but you saw maybe the best offensive performance in the first half against South Alabama that you've seen for a while. And it's been a lot of what you've been waiting to see where the shots are just falling. It wasn't necessarily that the offense was so much better. It was just the team was making the shots. And because it was so good, you built up a big enough lead that losing all of that in the second half didn't cost you. You still won the game and maybe focus on, that you found your offense again for 20 minutes and not as much on that it completely went away for long stretches in the second half. Maybe just the big picture, 
that's a positive and maybe it's not going to cost you. Yeah, I think there are definitely some positives with this weekend. Um, I'll start with Troy. Uh, I really felt like Troy gave Georgia State everything they had. And that was a team that was really in sync, playing really well. Um, And, you know, their execution was just phenomenal. Um, You could definitely tell that Georgia State was fighting some some of the same problems that they've had in terms of hitting their shots. You know, jumpers that were a little bit open weren't really going in. You know, they weren't really attacking the rim very well. Um, But I I liked how Georgia State was battling. I feel like I've said that a lot this year. Um, And and I think it holds true. I really thought that Georgia State battled well. And, you know, you know what? They just ran into a team that executed better than them. Um, you know, converse that with the South Alabama game that first half, you know, I thought Georgia State, you, you could tell that the energy from Saturday from the opening tip was Georgia State's going to come and they're going to come and hit hard. And I really liked what I saw in the first half. Um, it is unfortunate, as you said, that the second half didn't go so well for the Panthers. They still ended up winning the game, obviously. Um, but it got a little bit more hectic than it probably needed to. Um, but you know, you, you can't necessarily dog on them too much because part of why you do build leads that big and part of why, you know, good what good teams do is they, you know, you never want to take your foot off the gas. But if you get out to as big a lead and if you play as well as they did in the first half, you can afford to kind of take your foot off the gas in the second half. You know, I'm not necessarily advocating that they continue that going forward, but this was the first time that we've seen them just shoot incredibly well for 20 minutes like it wasn't just like a, oh okay we're kind of shooting well no they shot phenomenally for 20 minutes and you know you want to see that spread out over the course of a full game absolutely i'll agree with you there you know but i i thought that the offense just really showed like okay yeah we can still be that high potent 80 points per game offense that we've had under coach lanier and you know they sputtered in the second half because of a defensive switch but if they can continue to find that shot, then I still like the Panthers chances going forward. Well, and I want to clarify what you just said a little bit with your permission sputtered offensively, defensively, the work they kept putting in the work kept being good. And that kept them in the lead. And that ultimately won them the game because the offensive trouble started basically from the start of the second half. They went through a five minute stretch without a field goal made in the first few minutes of, after their first make of the second half. And they actually expanded their lead in between the time they made field goals five minutes apart from I think 18 to 19 because the defense stayed good. And there was another stretch before the long eight minute stretch that really is what let South Alabama back in the game. And again, Georgia State didn't let the lead get away from them. And it was because of their work at the defensive end. For a lot of the game, they weren't letting South Alabama get out in transition. They were getting out and defending on threes. Yes, we set three points. Three pointers have been an issue defensively for Georgia State. And this was actually a really good week in that regard. Troy made three of 13. South Alabama made four of 20. So some of it's been letting open looks and some of it's been just your run-of-the-mill luck. And Georgia State had a lot better luck in that regard defending the perimeter this week, and it it made a difference. And so, yes, the eight-minute stretch of that field goal where the really long zone from South Alabama was giving Georgia State a lot of fits let South Alabama cut it back to a single-digit game. But because of the defense of the work they had already put in for 
30 minutes or so at that point, they were still in a really good place with scoreboard and they made their free throws. And that's another thing. Terrible free throw shooting on Thursday night. And it immediately, without basically any practice time or any time to really think about it, it immediately flipped. And that's really encouraging because that's, you don't expect the types of free throw shooting percentages shooting that you saw on Thursday night from a team with these veterans. And, you know, I don't know how many times, like there's been issues with things that have been happening that shouldn't with the seniors you have, but because of those seniors, I think you saw it flip back again. And specifically Kane Williams has been really, really reliable at the line. And hopefully we didn't just put the podcaster's curse on him by mentioning it, but every time he goes up there, I'm expecting him to hit both of them. And that was certainly the case in that game against South Alabama. And only missed four, made 24, got to the line a fair bit. And that was what was helping subside. Yeah. That was what was helping you keep the lead in those situations where you weren't making shots from the floor is that's why your expanded lead is because you kept getting fouled. You were in the bonus with 14 minutes to go in the second half and you made your shots. Absolutely. You know, and speaking to that juxtaposition between the two games, you know, you look at, I think people kind of harp on, they, they focus a little bit too much on assists because, you know, assists usually mean, you know, you're spreading the ball around, guys are getting open looks, and obviously you want to have a higher number of assists. Uh, but, you know, you do have lower assisting teams who are still able to create their own shot and find ways to score and, you know, blah, blah. Big this, however coming up. Yes, incredibly <laughs> large however coming up. Um, when you look at the Troy game, Georgia State only had three assists. You know, that's not really what you want to see out of this team, especially because of their ability to get in the paint. And especially because, you know, you want to see those guards either shooting open threes, you know, getting dribble drives and finding ways to get passes on cuts into the lane and, you know, laying it up, you know, passes into, you know, LEL and, you know, just putting that up immediately, you know, like it is impossible to shoot an open, a wide open three off of a pass and not get an assist. I promise you it can't happen. Um, And, you know, that's one thing that was immediately different in the South Alabama game. You know, there were I saw lots of guys who were cutting, who were, you know, the movement without the ball was much better. And, you know, they had 12 assists over that game. And, you know, like we we talk about the second half, like that was obviously that was obviously where, you know, things didn't necessarily go so well. And, you know, you can see it like they only had three assists in that second half. But, you know, we've clearly seen what this team looks like when they are moving the ball and when they are, you know, finding ways to score, regardless, like whether it's at the free throw line, whether it's, you know, shooting threes like that. I feel like the team is getting out of that rut that they were in earlier in the season. And, you know, I even think that they're finishing at the basket has been a little bit better, despite as bad as the performance was in that regard against the Troy or against Troy. Yeah, I mean, Georgia State was three assists, 14 turnovers against Troy, and Troy themselves turned it over 22 times, which that should be the number that's like, oh, that's the team where the turnovers mattered more. But the turnovers against Troy really cost Georgia State. Troy was playing passing lanes. Troy was just getting really aggressive, cutting in behind guys when they dribbled in the lane and getting steals that way and getting out in transition. And so it was about identical. I think Georgia State out points off turnovers Troy by two, which given they forced eight more turnovers, advantaged Troy in that regard. And that really started making a difference as that game wore on. And it's something that 
got better against South Alabama. I mean, I guess the reason why I wouldn't necessarily put all of the stock into how things went poorly against South Alabama in the second half is part one is this has kind of been their MO. They keep getting down double digits on the road in Sunbelt games and find a way to come back. They did it. I think they were down 15 against Southern in Thursday and they came all the way back. Tider took the lead, ended up losing in the final 20 seconds. And so that's kind of the way it played out in this this game. It didn't nearly get that close. They didn't ever get tied or take the lead in the second half. But it's kind of in what they do. And they have the type of length to do the 2-3 zone that they were doing. It's kind of hard for just anyone to throw up a 2-3 zone and replicate it. Because part of why it works is because they are so long. They've got these 6-7, six, 6-6 six, six guys, 6-4, six, J.J. Chandler, and it works. I mean, they were kind of getting Coach Ron Hunter a little bit. Like, we have seen the other side of that, where Coach Hunter ran 40 minutes of zone at Georgia State. And what ended up happening a lot was teams started settling for jumpers, not pushing it into the paint, getting affected by the length and some, like, traps in the on the perimeter that Georgia State would run. In this case, South Alabama was running. And it started affecting them. and. What saved them down the stretch was Justin Roberts on a couple of possessions was finally able to get dribble penetration and he got to the rim, made a layup, and it was really important. You know, a game that ended up, you won it by seven, but really the four points on the two baskets that Justin Roberts finally made down the stretch made the difference where if Georgia State doesn't get those, they might not win the game. That's just the way it was trending was missed three-pointer, South Alabama runs it out in transition, Chandler gets a basket because he took over that game. Uh, You know, I think what makes South Alabama always dangerous and why I still think that they are worried if you have to go up against them in Pensacola is that they've probably got the two best, the duo, the best duo of shot creation in the Sun Belt this year with Charles Manning and JJ Chandler. I mean, what Chandler was doing in that second half was absolutely, he just took over the game. And when you have a guy like that, double digit, deficits don't matter as much because if you're playing good defense and he's in his bag like he was you can get back into the game and erase it just like that and that's sort of what happened but free throw shooting and building up enough of a lead is what got Georgia State across the line and you know I also want to say we had a surprise starter Jamal Kleiss was started for his first time and you know I'll be honest when I saw it I was like oh who's injured or back in the protocols that that doesn't need to happen to Georgia State right now. But no, Sesame and Jaheim Hudson and Jalen Thomas all played. You know, Sesame started alongside Kleiss. And so it was clear at that point that it was a decision to start him. And it it worked. Kleiss was bringing some energy. And Coach Nier mentioned that he's not 100% and been battling a little injury that's kept him where his minutes are down. And so I put a tweet out about this from the account earlier in the week that thought it was really fascinating that given that his minutes were limited, that he's a true freshman and that the eight minutes he gave was all he could give that he wanted that from the start and it paid off team looked really good. He was a part of that, bringing that energy early on. He only had one offensive rebound and an assist, but he really showed a lot. I, you know, I wanted to sit there and say that, you know, 
maybe this was a performance type of deal where, you know, Coach Lanier wanted to bring in some fresh meat on the, literally, you know, uh, in the starting rotation for this game. But even if that wasn't the case, you're absolutely right. And it wasn't even just Kleiss' performance. I thought the energy that all of the Panthers, especially the big men, when they all kind of checked in after uh, Kleiss kind of checked out, like I thought that all of them brought the energy that you know, it was something that I hadn't seen in a few weeks from them. Yeah, so I guess monitoring that, we'll see if it was a one-time thing just to kind of spark things or if he keeps getting those minutes. But you know, even beyond, once he gets 100% over the offseason and minutes are up for grabs going into next season. I mean, we're obviously getting way ahead of ourselves if I'm mentioning next season, but certainly it caught my eye that he was able to provide you that and a really impactful eight minutes. And so next year, when he can play more than eight minutes and you're looking for that type of energy, definitely you kind of saw what it was that made Coach Vendier want to recruit this guy to come to Georgia State for sure. All right, so let's go ahead and move on to talk about this road trip up to the Carolinas uh, when Georgia State heads to Coastal Carolina Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern and App State Saturday at 4 p.m. This will be the return leg of two matchups the Panthers lost in the sports arena last month. They'll first seek revenge against the Chanticleers of Coastal, who are 12-10 and 10 on the year and 4-6 and six in conference, one spot above Georgia State in the standings and in a tie for eighth with Georgia Southern. The Panthers will do well to better contain Vince Cole this time, who led the shots with 23 points in their 72-68 overtime win on January 22nd. And then on Saturday, State heads up to the mountains to face Appalachian State, the current conference leader at 15-10 and 9-3 in Sunbelt play. They'll host Georgia Southern on Thursday night before the Panthers come to town. Adrian Delph was the standout performer in the team's previous matchup with a game-high 29 points, but Justin Forrest made the play of the game when he hit a buzzer-beating fadeaway with a second on the clock to give App a 61-60 win at Georgia State on January 20th. So, gentlemen, Coastal Carolina, App State, what are your thoughts? So I'll start with Coastal um, because I think this is definitely the least contentious of these two games. Um, I, I remember that Georgia state coastal game in the sports arena, uh, you know, a month or two ago and, uh, that the Panthers shot 28 threes and hit three of them, uh, for you mathematicians at home, that is an 11% three point uh, shooting percentage. And that can't happen again. And that's um, rounding up too. It's yes. If you're going literally. So it, yes, 11 is doing that number favors. Exactly. Um, I don't know what it is about Georgia State and Coastal. Um, it happens when they go on the road to Coastal for whatever reason. But the Panthers just forget to shoot the basketball. Um, and, I, and I know that there's been a bit of a three-point power outage this year. Um, like, I, I can't remember what the stat was, but I think Corey Allen last year, he, like, in, like, 23 attempts in, like, two previous games at Coastal, he hit, like, three of them. Um, so that can't happen this week. If you're if Georgia State is still trying to climb back to where they should be, that can't happen. Um, and I'll be honest, I don't think it will. Um, you know, the Panthers did a really good job of containing Musafa. Like that was they in the second half specifically. Like he is kind of Coastal's player to watch. And, you know, in the first half, he was kind of dictating everything for them, even if he wasn't scoring or getting rebounds. And, you know, LEL was kind of still fine working his way back, but LEL and Jaheim just kind of shut him down 
in the second half. And, you know, that's going to have to be what Georgia State kind of employs for 40 minutes this time as well. And, you know, I think if the recent performance of Kane and Corey are there, I think Georgia State will be in a good spot to probably win the game. You know, they're going to need more. You know, you're going to need Jalen's resurgence, if you will, to continue. You're going to need, you know, Justin to continue to find his shot as well. But I still think on paper, like this is still a more talented Georgia State team. And, you know, we've been playing. They've been playing about a month, you know, like they they've kind of got their legs under them already. They've, you know, like Brady said, like. Their record isn't good, but they've still won three of their last four Sunbelt games. That's important. You know, that momentum is momentum because they started off the season 0-2 in conference play. So, you know, I think getting this this win against Coastal will be incredibly important. And, you know, hopefully they can do it. Yeah, I mean, I think we've used this logic a couple of times already. But when you've dropped your first two at home, when you started 0-4, it lends itself to this idea now that you're going to have to go on the road and win two. And they did it in Louisiana schools, but I think both of these teams are better than both Louisiana schools. So this is a tougher task, but the defense has been traveling. The team in general has been traveling. Like we've through all of this, Georgia state has actually only lost one conference game on the road and they've only played three but they've they're two and one in conference games on the road. Like the style is traveling. You're not having this thing where it's two different teams that you're so much better at home. Like as usual, if anything, it's been worse at home because of the games you've been dropping. But I think maybe that's a little bit overstated just because it's been a lot of close losses, but you know, you look at it coastal, like David said, mathematically, if Georgia state just shoots even just 25% from three, which is still not very good at all, they probably win that game. Literally hit two more shots and you're fine. I promise you. that That's why that game was frustrating. And, you know, there was an interesting thing on Saturday that Corey Allen played, I think, three minutes in the second half. And talking about in postgame, Coach Nier was just saying they were riding with the guys they had out there. And, you know, in all honesty... Corey is a guy that likes to shoot threes whenever he has any type of space. And I'm not sure that when South Alabama was running that zone, like they were that having someone who was going to have a really quick trigger on threes was going to solve anything. If anything, it might've exacerbated what was going wrong there. And so, but that's just to say it was the bold call to effectively bench one of your seniors. And I guess we're going to have to see if there's any kind of negative effect off the back of that, because I still think when all is said and done, Georgia State's going to need Corey Allen and specifically his three-point shooting. But an executive decision was made in that game. And I think for Georgia State's sake, they're going to have to hope that everything is understood all is well and that it's not affecting them going to this game because, yeah, he's still an important part. It just it didn't make sense in that moment. But I think you're still going to need what he offers you in these two games. Yeah. And I mean, if teams are just going to sit in that two, three zone and just ask, you know, Georgia State to make an adjustment and, you know, have anybody but Corey beat them, Georgia State's going to have to do that. You know, like they clearly failed the test against South Alabama. You know, it didn't cost them. But if that's going to be the defensive strategy, then, you know, I'm sure they're going to see that against Coastal. I'm sure they're going to see that against App State. So Georgia State's just going to have to make the adjustment and fight. Guys are going to have to beat it. Yeah, I mean. Surely that was going to be a point to just rehash his own offense in these games. But I would say 
like I talked about South Alabama, they uniquely are set up where that's something they do. They run it a lot and it's what they go to in those type situations. I know the coastal uses some zone. They definitely threw Georgia state some zone when they played in the sports arena, but like app state is pack line man defense. And so like, sure. They registered that it worked against South Alabama or for South Alabama against Georgia state. But honestly, it's in Georgia state's favor. If app state looks at that and decides to throw some zone because they don't really do it. And so if teams are going to look at that adjustment and say, we've got to do that, but they don't really do that much zone. That's where you get into risky doing something you don't do well. And so maybe we see it on Saturday with app state, but I, I think it would be to app's benefit to not get in that type of game. Cause that's, they have a good defense the way they run it. And I feel like it would, it would risk being a half measure too cute and trying to play on tendencies for Georgia state too much when what they do works. And, you know, I could see a game playing out largely like it did with app state the first time, you know, maybe not with app state taking the lead they did in the first half and Georgia state crawling back, but I could see it being another game that plays out down the stretch. And, you know, whether it was Adrian Delph scoring 29 and just being pretty lights out from three all game for them or Justin Forrest making the plays down the stretch when it counted, even though only two made shots on the on the night, but one of them was the game winner. When it came down to it, App had the guards who wanted the ball and made the plays when they need to, and Georgia State didn't in that game, and that's going to have to reverse, you know. App's really scrappy, and they've got three guys in Forrest Delph and Michael Amanasi who any game could randomly be on a heater and just making any shots. I mean, Almanasi and Forrest are both under 30% on threes for the year, but Almanasi just basically won them their last game against UTA because he went off, which he's very liable to do. He did it against Georgia State in the Sunbelt Championship game last year, and so I think it might be another game that plays out very similar to how the first time it did, you know, these are two teams that right now I think are suited to lower scoring games, grinding it out on defense. And this is going to probably be the game where you're going to have to lean on your senior guards and say, look, you've got to make more plays than them in the end. It's going to be down to the wire. And last time they got your number the last two times they got your number. And, you know, this is going to have to be a game you look at where Georgia state's going to have to look on those guys to win. And, that's part of why the team is under 500 is that that hasn't really happened as much this year, but you've seen it before. The team is playing better. The team's gelling better. And you've seen signs on the shooting side of things that things are starting to open up. And, you know, if it is one of those games where when those, the open looks are there, Georgia state's making shots, maybe it doesn't play out that way. And maybe you can find a way to get a comfortable lead on the road and hold on for the end. But I do think it's going to come down to those, those same guys are you know Kane, Justin, and Corey. You know, and the, the I guess interesting thing um, is just going to be like Georgia State has been in a lot of close games, and you know we said it in the Louisiana going into the Louisiana weekend, like you know they they've been in a lot of close games and it hasn't gone their way, but I feel like. And, you know, maybe you can shed some light on this, too. I feel like the fortunes have kind of changed a little bit and you have started to see, you know, some of that senior experience kind of tick up and allow Georgia State to have won some of these games. You know, South Alabama, it was a seven point win, but, you know, South Alabama was charging. 
you know, Louisiana, that was a close game late. You know, Justin kind of put the team on his back and, you know, had his only offensive contribution late in the game. You know, you, uh, UL Monroe was a bit of a blowout and, you know, Troy was a loss. But I still think that Georgia State is kind of finding their late game kind of game plan, so to speak. Um, so I, I think that is what lost them that first Ab State game more so than just, you know, they played bad. I think, yeah, there was areas for improvement, obviously. But, uh, you know, if they if you just were to copy paste that game and just say Georgia State fix your late game, you know, clock management, shot selection and whatever. I think they could still come away with the win. Now, you want to see them play better this week, obviously. But I think they still should be in that game. And like you said, you know, they've got to lean on the seniors. You know, they're here for a reason. Like they they wanted to come back. Like you can't let that experience go to waste. And, you know, it remains to be seen what's going to happen. So hopefully, you know, they are able to bring something and, you know, help put a team away. Yeah, maybe don't spot them a 14 point lead, which is as much as the app led by in the first game, because, you know, this time it's on the road and it is harder to make those type of comebacks when you don't have the home crowd behind you. But. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's been trending in the right direction, and they won. I, the ULM game ended up being a double-digit win, but I don't know that I'd characterize it as a blowout because ULM was leading in the second half, and it you had to had to take that game over. But yeah, I mean, you've seen more of what you're looking for. I think late game execution got away from them against Troy, particularly. There's an out of bounds, out of a timeout, inbounds play that just didn't go to plan at all. And that ended up being what cost them in that game. And, you know, I late offense has been something that's maybe escaped Georgia state in ways that it shouldn't given the leadership you have just as far as, you know, out of bounds plays haven't necessarily led to good shots, but on the other side of things, when <laughs> coach Lanier has left it up to the players to create their own shots, that also hasn't gotten them good looks like neither formula is working in that regard. And so that's the one final frontier that Georgia state has to clear. But again, it doesn't make for good podcast material just to say like they have to do it. But at a certain point you're leaning on those guys that have been playing college basketball for four or five years to make those plays. It's, it's what's supposed to be the definition of this team. And I think you can still see it. I think it's still, there it just hasn't shown up enough but that's kind of what you got to be banking on like that is the formula for this team to win in march or not and if it doesn't happen it doesn't happen but like there isn't some secret other way that georgia state is going to find their offense late in games it's gonna have to be on the back of those three seniors well moving on to football news announced via video posted to the Georgia State football Twitter page, tight end Aubrey Payne has been granted a seventh year of eligibility by the NCAA and will be back for the 2022 season. Payne led the team in 2021 with seven receiving touchdowns, surpassing his previous career high set last uh, in 2019 with six in his first season at Georgia State. Uh, David Brady, I'm curious to hear your reaction to a seventh year of eligibility. Uh, it, it almost feels silly coming out of my mouth, being granted to tight end Aubrey Payne, returning to the Panthers for one more ride into the sunset in 2022. 
you know, I don't even care like about the number because, you know, I'm not the NCAA, like whatever, you know, let's have pros come back. I don't care. Um, but <laughs> I think, it, you know, that video at that moment was just like so cool to watch just because, you know, we, we had like kind of heard rumblings about like, oh, is Aubrey going to be able to do it? Like what, you know, and then, you know, we also didn't really hear anything for a bit. And then you I know, didn't just, think there was any chance. This took me off yeah. guard that they said yes. Yeah, I, you know, honestly, I didn't think so either. And just, you know, just to see his like genuine reaction to, you know, getting that seventh year. And I'm sure I think Coach Elliott said that they were going to start calling him grandpa. So, you know, we'll steal that. We'll start calling him grandpa as well. Uh, you know, I'm happy for him, though. Like that's and I, you know, if we're quote unquote analyzing this, uh, I think, you know, that's. That is a level of the Georgia State offense that you absolutely want to have, you know, like you saw it late last year and especially during the I think the bowl game, you know, like Aubrey can take over a game just like, you know, some of the premier tight ends in the conference and that play the position in the country, you know, so uh, happy for him. Happy for Georgia State. You know, they've got a nice offensive weapon and, you know, glad that the Panthers have their grandpa back. And one that new offensive coordinator Josh Depp is very familiar with because he coached him for the past few years. Um, yeah, like like I said, definitely didn't expect this, but anything for players and their ability to you know play the game, like no one is upset about this. Like very good for the NCAA. Um, you know, he was hurt last year, you know, so I'm sure that might have been the factor in it. If we're analyzing how the decision got made, is that he missed a fair amount of those games because of injury. But yeah, uh, some interesting things with this is that uh, from what I have heard, Dan Ellington and him, who that's now his position coach, are exactly the same age down to the day. And Dan Ellington's thrown touchdown passes to him, which has got to be one of the first times in NCAA history that a position coach has actually thrown a touchdown pass in a game to one of the people he's coaching, which I just thought was just absolutely hilarious. Yeah, just looked it up. Aubrey returning 25 years old in October and playing at the NCAA level, which is, hey, honestly, roll for an eighth year. I mean, let's keep this keep, keep this train going, see how long we can get. Absolutely. Like, let's get up to 10. Like, come on. Literally, who is stopping you? Set like, the record. Well, I mean, literally, the NCAA is stopping you at that point. Like, you're on an actual answer. Literally. But, you know, there are some young tight ends. Chris Bird and Amon Green been underclassmen well talented recruits they brought in rakeem laney as a tight end and so you're still gonna have aubrey as a starter now that you're losing roger carter and it just gives you a little bit more security like david said he can take over games and he's always liable to somehow be 20 yards open for a touchdown over the middle but you can continue to work those guys along and now it's really gonna be his last year you know jokes aside like this will be it and from next year it'll be kind of like a, a year where the other guys that have been coming along can slide in alongside him as the second string tight ends and get their experience that way. And you're still going to have 88 there being a reliable weapon for the quarterback. Because they don't forget Georgia state loves two tight end sets. And I don't think that's necessarily going anywhere. Now that coach Glenn's gone, uh, I still think we're going to see a healthy amount of that. And so whoever is lining up next to Aubrey is going to be important because this does mask the loss of a guy like Roger Carter, who huge loss for what he's provided in the blocking game and in the passing game for Georgia State as well. And so it, Georgia State doesn't lose that much, and we're going to get onto that in a little bit. But it would have been something where one of the 
positions where you lost the most experience, now you're only losing half of that experience. So that that is definitely helpful. Yeah, and on the topic of returning players, that is a good segue to our next note. Uh, last note on football. Uh, per the returning production and CFB numbers tabulated by ESPN's Bill Connolly, Georgia State is 26th out of 131 FBS programs with 76% of their 2021 production returning, 72% on offense, 80% on defense. Our friends down south are tops in the Sun Belt with uh, ranking 6th with 92% back on offense, 78% on D. Coastal Carolina and Louisiana are in the bottom 6, each losing half or each losing over half of their 2021 production to graduation or transfers. Any reaction to this, uh, you know, this report coming out and how it uh, affects maybe how the Sun Belts is looking next year? So I, it is a, we talked about this before earlier in the week and I'm going to steal David Sutter by mentioning it, but like Georgia State returning that much doesn't in itself mean a ton because Georgia State returned a lot last year. Everybody kind of did because of the extra COVID year. There were a lot less seniors who just left. And you ended up having guys like Destin Coates and Cornelius Brown, who you thought were going to be the big parts of your offense, not really doing a lot and ended up being other guys, you know, and this, by the same token, I'm not just being rivalry guy here, like Georgia Southern returning 90% of a team that wasn't very good. Doesn't tell you a lot either because they weren't a very good team last year. And so it's going to be about developing and who else they bring in to supplement that down South. The one thing I will say, though, is it is very noteworthy to me how much Louisiana and Coastal lose. Like, I'm not just trying to play both sides of the coin, but like it does work that way. Even if guys returning doesn't mean that much, like, sure, Grayson McCall is back, but he lost both of his top two receiving weapons and he replaced them with one of them's a familiar face. But losing guys like Isaiah Likely and Javon Hiley is a big loss. And Louisiana just got raided. Lost so many guys in the transfer portal. And for them, it's not, it's the percentage, but like, it's really important guys. It's like one of their all conference linemen, a couple of offensive weapons. And I just, especially with losing their head coach, I still don't know who in the West other than Louisiana is going to be competitive, but as much as they've lost, like it is worth registering, like how just the number, quantifying the number, seeing it on a page just shows like they have a lot that they've got to get back. You're right. You know, we're not talking about like an Alabama or like a UGA or something like that with Georgia state in terms of their, uh, a low number of returning players. Like it's good for a team like Georgia state. It's good to have returning production. You want to see that. My fear though. And I, you know, I, I kind of have to check myself specifically is, I think, you know, last year they were in like the 90%. I think they had like 95% returning people or production, excuse me. And, you know, going into the year, I'll be honest, I was expecting like a a two loss conference slate that still ended in the Sunbelt Championship somehow. You know, I, I yeah, I thought like they would lose to Coastal, but Coastal would get done up by, you know, other people. And then Louisiana was just I thought Louisiana was otherworldly. Um, and I don't want to make that same mistake this year, honestly, but I don't think that that is me changing my own expectations for them because the expectations still should be high, you know. 
But, you know, look at the quarterback position last year. Darren Granger wasn't, you know, a returning member of the production, but he, you know, was a rock star by all accounts. You know, and uh, Georgia State, if they're going to want to continue to grow and continue to be where we think they should be and can be, you know, that number is just going to have to be a footnote. And, you know, like Brady said, they're going to have to take advantage of, you know, some of these schools that are replacing guys. Like, I'm sorry, but I, I the schedule is not out. It's going to come out in a little bit under a month. But if Louisiana is on Georgia State's schedule, like Georgia State is going to have to finally get a win in that series. Because it's a home game. Is If it happens, it will be a home game. Unless yeah. they do some weird rejiggering of the schedule, which they probably wouldn't do. Right. You know, Coastal, I'm sorry. Like the loss of Sam Pinckney, it's hard. It hurts. Uh, Coastal still is losing a lot of other people, though. Like the addition of Sam is not going to make them. They're, they're going to have to develop other people. They're going to have to find ways to be better around that. And, you know, they could be. But Georgia State is still going to have to find a way to just continue to be at the top. And, you know, like that is the expectation. That's the goal each and every year. You know, they're going to come in, you know, in a couple of weeks in the spring game and say, like, the expectation is the Sunbelt Championship. Like we, you know, want to host this, like host the Sunbelt Championship game, you know, and to do that, it's just you're going to have to take advantage of some of these schools that are losing a lot more than you are. Yeah, I haven't even mentioned the East champion. App State, who they're going to lose some super seniors. They're losing people that matter on both sides of the ball. They get a good bit back, including quarterback Chase Bryce. But the news came down today that they're losing their offensive coordinator, Frank Ponce, who's taking the quarterback coach job at Miami. And, you know, it just they're still probably going to get a good coordinator to come in. Like they're still going to have a lot of talent. They've proven themselves to be the class of the East until otherwise. But Georgia State has been waiting for their moment to be at that level and stuff like that ends up having to matter. Like if you aren't able to take advantage of maybe app less at it at the strength that they were in the last couple of years, same with coastal, it's going to be a missed opportunity because you know, based on just production numbers, we've spelled it out. You have a lot coming back from an eight win team. And so it's going to be about taking advantage of that, winning the games you need to in 2022. So let's go ahead and move on to baseball. That's right. It's almost college baseball season again. Georgia State being picked 11th of 12 in the preseason Sunbelt coaches poll just ahead of Arkansas State. South Alabama were picked as favorites, receiving 7 of 10 first place votes. Georgia Southern in second, despite Coastal Carolina, the third place selection, receiving the other three first place votes. Louisiana is going to round out the top four in the preseason Sunbelt selection. On the other side of things, however, the baseball site perfectly game listed Georgia State as the team with the most players in their top 25 pro prospects list for the Sunbelt. Third baseman Will Mize was in at number two, while right-handed pitcher Ryan Watson was number 10, with outfielder Josh Smith right behind him at a number 11. Rounding out the Panthers' selections were two pitchers, righty Dylan Metella at number 14 and southpaw Dawson Sweat at number 22. And we're going to have a lot more baseball talk in the coming weeks as the season ramps up. But uh, gentlemen, do you have any initial thoughts on this? Being 11th is not necessarily a bad thing because you can almost literally only go up from there. And they exceeded expectations last year. Went 12 and 12 in Sunbelt play, finished second to last in the East uh, by conference record. Coastal Carolina, who was picked first, finished last in the East. And so you had that kind of negative surprise going on. And as the perfect game list spells out, there's definitely talent on this team. It's going to be about putting together a full team effort as baseball is it's a team sport perhaps more than any of the others 
Uh, uh, team individual, you know, like it's about the most guys performing collectively. I guess I would put it like that. And yeah, it's a tough league and it's an easier non-conference schedule for you this time. And maybe the the toughness that you went through with playing such a hard non-conference schedule last year, iron strengthened iron and built a stronger team. I'm definitely intrigued to see how this team performs this year. I am too. You know, I am very curious to see how this transformation with the baseball team is going to look going forward. Um, You know, baseball is kind of a weird sport at Georgia state. Like it's the South, it's Georgia. There's too much talent around them for them to be bad. Um, And, you know, the results haven't been there in the past few years. And, you know, they've, they've made some changes that are good and, you know, they're working towards, you know, finally, getting their own space. I think in the next few years, uh, I don't think that has like officially broke ground or anything, but I'm sure they're going to want to leave that area. Um, if Georgia state does like develop the athletics complex near the football stadium. Um, but yeah, like you said, like 11th in the preseason poll, you know, it's a number it's, it doesn't necessarily mean in four months we'll be talking about the, you know, that 11th uh, ranking for them, but you know, hopefully they're kind of do what they did last year and just surprise some people. And we're going to close out today's episode with taking a listener question. Just one solitary question this week from the usual Mike from Marietta. In honor of the Winter Olympics, if you could bring a Winter Olympics sport to GSU, what would it be? I am very interested to hear our answer. I want to start with Brady. I mean, we don't like this is like not very much research into what kind of offerings this has as a collegiate or professional sport, but I'm just going to go full meme and say curling. Like, you stole curling? that from me. Oh, my God. <laughs> All right. The, the Thursday Night Podcast unanimously uh, designates GSU curling as our next. Uh, like, why <laughs> wouldn't it be curling? If curling was an offer and I knew. I mean, why else would we be building I the mean, convocation center? I, I don't know why it would the curling be center. a scholarship sport for Georgia State. <laughs> but, like, if it was in high school and I'd seen the offers, like, I can go in state and play curling, I would have gotten onto the ice, figured it out, learned anything about doing the sport, which I don't currently have the knowledge of at all. But uh, make sure you have like really bright polka dot pants. I know that the better curly teams have that. So that's all I know. Are you sure that's not correlation? I just I don't know that that's actually like they might just have them and they're also good. No, no, no. That's absolutely causation. OK, you will not change my mind. OK, OK. I, I didn't know. Like I said, I don't know curling. You learn things. I didn't know that the pants give you special power. Isn't it like a thing where even like curling people don't really understand how the I can't remember. Is it a stone that they, they call the thing? How it like curves so. around on the ice? There's something I saw. I think it was on Reddit the other day that people had done a bunch of research cool. on like the dynamics I mean, of the thing going around. They still don't really understand. Of, if they understood completely, everyone would hit the bullseye every time. So... <laughs> It wouldn't be fun. They would, the part of the sport is not knowing. Like that's what makes it such an addictive game, right? It's just fun to watch, honestly. <laughs> I'd be, I'd be all about that. But in, in the absence of that, Did I everyone I, say curling. Well, I was gonna say something like snowboarding because I just feel like the no, nope, we bullied David into say curling. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, with the hills of Atlanta, like I feel like it just would be cool to see some snowboarding down there. But All now right. I want to change my answer to curling. Now, well, we, we I was gonna say like that. as we've established, like uh, eliminate the logic of it because like we're talking about a, a southern state, southern city getting a, a winter sport anyway. Like on the face of it, 
Well, I Maybe think... we should just go full. Like, I know that, like, indoor volleyball is already a thing, but, like, continue the meme and do winter volleyball. No volleyball? That sounds no volleyball. miserable, falling down on a sheet of ice <laughs> while trying to spike over the net. Yeah, I mean, it, it's not fun, but it's it's for the love of the game. Right, I mean, hey. You gotta get the three teams going. You gotta and get shattering your kneecaps. Sand volleyball, snow volleyball. All right, we'll, we'll so allow guess, knee pads. We'll allow knee and elbow pads. In I feel like that would. I feel like that would mess with your like that. Would if you if you want it, or you physically could just it would like weigh you down it. a little bit. So I guess we we gave you an answer unanimously, and then also invented a sport. So bonus points there. But uh, I believe that is going to do it for this week for questions. Thank you so much, Mike. Yeah, always a pleasure. And of course, uh, it would not be a Thursday night podcast episode without Sports Bits. And buckle up, boys. There's a lot on the calendar this week. We are finally back into the swing of regular sports competitions. And oh boy, let's take a look together. Thursday, today, as of the release of this podcast, women's tennis at Clark Atlanta at 1 p.m. Women's basketball hosting Coastal Carolina at 6 p.m. in the sports arena on ESPN+. And men's basketball playing the Chanticleers and Conway, South Carolina at 7 on ESPN+. And WRAS-FM 88.5. And then Friday and Saturday, you've got the Bulldog invite for track and field all day, both days. Softball playing a whole bunch of games versus Indiana State and Stetson in the uh, leadoff classic in DeLand, Florida. All sorts of stuff happening Friday, Saturday. And then you've got women's tennis on Friday afternoon at Mercer and Macon at 3 p.m. And then Saturday, of course, you got a pair of basketball games, women's basketball hosting App State in the Sports Arena at 2 on ESPN+, and men's basketball playing at App State, 4 p.m. on ESPN+. Sunday, men's tennis at Furman, Greenville, South Carolina at noon. Softball continuing their uh, leadoff classic down in Florida. Women's tennis playing Lipscomb in Atlanta at 2 p.m. Monday and Tuesday, women's golf at North Florida's First Coast Classic in Jacksonville, Florida. And you can keep up with live stats on georgiastatesports.com for that one. And then finally, on Wednesday, softball at Western Carolina at 2 p.m. and 4 p.m. for a doubleheader. Boy, that's a lot of Panther athletics going on this week. Get out there, support your Panthers, keep up with them online, and we will catch up with you in next week's episode. See ya.